Good morning. This morning we're continuing our series of talks entitled Rest and Reset, which has been a journey through some of the Psalms in the Bible, using these Holy Spirit-inspired poems and songs of God's people to rejoice together, lament together, to invite God's presence once again to meet us and fill us so that we can rest with him and reset our perspective with him in these strange times. There have been some really wonderful messages shared by our preachers over the last couple of months, so I'd really warmly encourage you to go back and have a look on our YouTube channel and find any that you've missed. They're all there and I think they're great. This morning I'm sharing with you one of my favourite psalms. It's Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a psalm all about God revealing himself to us in glory. And if I was to give the psalm a title, which might be a little presumptuous of me, it would be the God who gloriously makes himself known. That might do as a title of my own talk, perhaps. So, the God who gloriously makes himself known. This psalm takes us on a journey of revelation. So today, I'm going to talk about how God makes himself known through his creation, through giving us the Bible, and finally, how he makes himself known to each of us in our personal relationship with him. With that plan in mind, my friend Laura is going to read Psalm 19 for us now in the NIV translation. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever, the decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. 
They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Laura. Back when I was a student studying theology here at St Andrews, there was this tradition amongst many of the Christian students in the town that on Easter Sunday, very early in the morning, whilst it was still dark, we would head down to West Sands and watch the sunrise. The beach seemed full. People stood silently here and there, some reading their Bibles, some just watching, waiting, admiring the changing golds and pinks of the clouds and praising God in their hearts. As each new person appeared, they would be greeted with a handshake or a hug and a quiet but heartfelt, Christ is risen. It was a precious time, alive with the presence of God and the glory of his creation showing off that special dawn, a, a joyfully solemn time. As you can tell, that's one of my favourite memories of studying here. And often, when I was sat on the sand dune or stood on the beach on those mornings, my thumbs found their way back to Psalm 19 in my wee pocket Bible. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And they sure did. God's creation sings out with the beauty that he's given it, boldly proclaiming his creativity, his power, his beauty and his eye for stunning, intricate detail. In a sense, we can learn a lot about God from observing this beautiful world that he's created. I shared with you a few weeks ago that I found the way that I personally have met with God has changed in lockdown. Whereas before, I'd come to expect to meet with God in worship together, come to rely on those services as such a crucial part of my relationship with him. Not being able to meet for services in the same way left a big hole in the way that I related to God. I found that spending time with God in nature, from watching the waves lap on Fife's beaches, to nurturing plants in my wee backyard, which I'm not very good at, to standing with God in the evenings, just watching the clouds drift by in the heavy silence of God's presence. In these new ways, I've been meeting with God in surprising and special times. And though I mourn the loss of worship together for the moment, I'm so grateful for meeting God in these new ways for me and delighted that through an uncomfortable season, 
my relationship with him has actually grown, deepened, as I've added new, precious ways to meet him. God has been gloriously making himself known to me through his creation. I tend to catch a good many more sunsets than I do sunrises, but a photo that a dear friend of mine sent me of a sunrise in mid-Wales a couple of weeks ago had me staring in praise. These skies proclaim the work of God's hands, and not just once a year, but day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. And although they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Every day, silently and steadily, God is there quietly making himself known through his beautiful creation to anyone who will stop and notice. And not just with a little awkwardly British wave, hello, but with the glory of the sun who rises with the glory of a bridegroom arriving in splendor. <laughs> Have you ever been to a wedding where people say, yes, of course the bride looks beautiful, we all knew she would, but hasn't the groom scrubbed up well? Who knew he had it in him to look so smart? I think I recall hearing something like that. Here is the sun, emerging onto our horizon with all the glory of a groom in splendor, with an adoring gasp from Granny as he appears, and then crosses our skies with the assured strength of a world-class athlete steadily running their course. Nice one, God. What a design. And as verse 6 says, nothing is deprived of its warmth. There's huge power as well as beauty in this creation. We'd be right to conclude that the God who set this up has great power. That as well as tenderness and great beauty, he has great power and is making all these things known to us all the time. There is a danger, though, in concluding too much about what God is like from nature. Natural theology, as it's called, is rightly open to the criticism that studying this world isn't a foolproof way of studying God. Creation carries strong marks of the creator's character, sure, but it's open to being misinterpreted. And worse, this creation's also been corrupted by an enemy. This world is no longer as God perfectly designed it. So we need a bit more guidance. Helpfully, God hasn't just left us to work out what he's like from creation, as wonder-filled as it is. He's also revealed himself to us by speaking to us, by telling us what he's like. That's a massive bonus. And in fact, this psalm takes us on that journey of revelation. Verses 7 to 11 are a celebration of God's spoken revelation, specifically and especially his law. The things he's told us about himself and his designs for our lives. Laws can get a bad reputation. God has sometimes been falsely caricatured as a distant sky dictator demanding we do this or that for no apparent reason. Although I've never heard of anyone who knows God speaking like that. 
If we take seriously that God lovingly designed us to live a certain way, that he wants to give us the best possible lives and give us the best possible way to have our lives with him rather than without him or even against him, then surely we would want to live the way that he's set out for us. Say you have a friend, you love their company, and they have a certain way of living that you want to respect in order to spend time with them, like no smoking in their car, or take your shoes off when you go into their home, or they're a vegetarian, so don't cook them meat. Of course you'd make these changes in order to spend time with them. If you value your friend more than you value the stuff you give up for them, it's a no-brainer, right? I find this a really helpful way of thinking about God's law. I want to spend my life getting closer to him. I want to make my life and my home as welcoming for him and his presence as I possibly can, both to honour him, to give him glory, which he's worthy of, and to invite him, because I want to enjoy doing life with him. The psalm writer seems to think along similar lines. He praises God's law for being great, and then also gives us a wee benefit after each line of praise too. Verse 7, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect and refreshing the soul. The statutes of the law of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. This guy loves God's law. What a stark contrast to those who see Christianity as some oppressive set of do's and don'ts. I'm convinced that the difference between these views is knowing the presence of God in our life. Imagine being there in the moment when God told you how he wanted us to live. The people who want to be close with him, who know what it's like to meet him and and want that, that's a moment of delight. A moment to be so, so thankful for. A million miles away from an idea of unpleasant restrictions from a distant God. The psalm writer goes on in verse 10. These laws are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. The joy in receiving these laws and the benefits of living by them just overflow out of this psalm. God's law is perfect. It's trustworthy. They're right. They illuminate our lives. Is that how we often think of God's law? Our relationship with God is much more than keeping his law, but it's not less than keeping his law. And yes, Jesus has fulfilled the law of God for us. We'll get to that. But he hasn't removed the benefits from the law for us, just changed our relationship to it. A respect for God's law, even a fear of the Lord, are good things. If we think of them as ways that he's given us of relating to him, properly understanding who he is, what he's like, how to welcome him, 
how to live well with each other in a way that will please him instead of causing him to step back from our actions in distaste. In Psalm 19, God is gloriously making himself known. Firstly, we can see a glimpse of God's character through his work in creation, as we've said. Secondly, we can learn more about him and how we can get to know him through his revelation to us. And actually, the psalm writer really cleverly represents this transition, this increased revelation, in the word that he chooses to use for God. In verse 1, the word that we translate God is El, meaning God. Kind of a title, a description, a God, the God, God. It's kind of a definition. And El is related to Elohim, which is a word that can describe spiritual beings. But as we get to know what God is like throughout the psalm, through his speaking to humanity, through his law in particular, as this relationship increases and deepens, the word in this psalm changes. In verse 7, the word that we translate as the Lord is Yahweh, the name of God. And it's translated Lord and not Yahweh because for God's people in the Old Testament, God's name was so precious, so holy, that to even pronounce it was considered not giving him the respect that he's worthy of. So Lord became the stand-in for saying his name, but it had the sense of his name. This is our God we're talking about. So the switch goes from title, definition, not very personal, to his name as we get to know him and relate to him. It's like a stranger, beginning with calling you sir or madam, and then becoming a friend who calls you by your name. And that's the direction of the relationship that God wants with us. That's the direction that this psalm takes us on. The God who is gloriously making himself known. And lastly, and as we wrap up, about that relationship. There are things that we each have done things that we each still do, that go against the Lord's plan for us. And wonderfully, amazingly, really, he still wants a relationship with us despite those things. He wants to refresh our soul, to give joy to our heart, like a father who wants his disobedient children to let go of their stubborn tantrum and allow him to pick them up again. He wants to make wise the simple and give light to our eyes so that we can avoid those hurtful situations that our selfish, sin-stained hearts draw us towards over and over. He would love to see us having a fear of him in the sense of a healthy respect for him as we lovingly relate to him, and that that is good for us, and that in keeping his laws there is great reward. But we've all ignored these laws at some point or other. We all need a reset in our relationship with God. A clean slate instead of that long list of guilty charges against him. In verse 12, our psalm writer recognises that even with the best of intentions, we bumble and stumble into countless errors. We are rotten through with hidden faults. And worse than that, we keep willfully choosing things that offend God, that upset him and strain our relationship with him. And those things 
can almost always trap us and become dark habits, dragging us further and further from him and his life for us. This reality is as old as humanity, as old as creation and the enemy's desire to separate us from the creator. And if this doesn't sound like you, I suggest you look more closely. The psalmist begs that the Lord would protect him from such things, and it's a good prayer. But God has done more than answer it in his desire to fix our relationships with him. At this point, we go off the end of this psalm, forward 21 books in our Bibles and about a thousand years, to Jesus, the man born in Bethlehem. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one, always planned to clear our debts against him by paying the ultimate price for us himself, sending God the Son to be born as a vulnerable human being, Jesus, and to live amongst us, introduce himself to humanity face to face, to show us how to live, not just tell us, and then to allow himself to be put to death in a sham trial and a cruel execution that he didn't deserve, but we do. And then, on the third day, he rose again, still wearing his scars, and to tell us that we have now been given new life in him, if only we accept this offer and make him the loving Lord of our lives that he always intended to be. John Mumford, who, together with his wife Ellie, lead our Vineyard Church Movement internationally, once preached to Kingdom Vineyard, that this journey of seeing more and more of God through the ages was like a theatre, where, as we see creation, the curtain is lifted just a peak, a glimpse of what God is like. Then, with the law and the prophets that God spoke through, the curtain is pulled open just a bit to show us God and to show us his character. And then, with Jesus, the curtain is thrown open wide and we see what he is like. We see him. And this is the God for whom the heavens declare the glory of, that the skies proclaim the work of his hands, placing himself at the mercy of this unjust world, precisely to take that injustice and to replace it with the breaking in of his kingdom, his truth, his justice, his love. And person by person, as we allow him to put the lives we've led so far to death with Jesus on that cross and allow him to give us new life in him under his rule, living his mission to bring his kingdom into more and more of this world, we see the heart behind his laws brought to us to hearts who really need to see his blessing and his presence. We see people come to life. If you've never accepted that offer from God, or if it's been a while, then this morning is a divinely created appointment with the God who is gloriously making himself known to you. An opportunity for you to say, yes, please, Lord Jesus, take my life and everything that has separated me from you, my willful sins and my hidden faults, and start my new life with you today. Please, 
Fill me with your presence by your Holy Spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. And how shall we know that our thoughts, words and actions will please him? Well, firstly, there's that law I talked about, that Bible. It's still our guide. It's still our illuminating instructions list of how to behave in God's house, how to please him and live with him. And whilst we're doing that, we also can sit with him, listen to him speaking to us personally through his Holy Spirit, getting to know his voice better and better by sitting in his house and making devoted time to listen to him. I love this psalm. I love the delight it has in God's glorious creation and God's glorious love and the journey it takes us on of getting to know God better and better. God gloriously making himself known. And I love that God went on to more than fulfill it in Jesus and that because of this, we too can get to know him better and better through his creation, through his word to us in the Bible and as we welcome him in, to be the master of our own lives again and again. It's my prayer that each of us, Kingdom Vineyard, know him better and better, that we learn to rest in him and reset our lives with him every day. Why don't we pray? Thank you, Lord, not just for the beauty of creation, but for how you make yourself known in it. Thank you, Lord, not just for the wisdom and the righteousness of your law, but for your heart behind it to show us how much you love us. And thank you, Lord, that you want to meet each of us again afresh and more deeply every day. Praise you, Lord. Would you come even now? Meet us in our hearts. Even if it's for the first time. Would you begin and re-begin and deepen our relationships with you, even right now this morning. And in your glorious and loving name, Lord Jesus, we pray all of this. Amen.